We are back with Mr. Daniel Nethway checking in from just north of South Beach, Miami, Florida. What's up, Daniel? I'm doing good, my man. Doing good. No complaints. And uh, yeah, it is a sunny, sunny day here in South Beach, Miami, friend, my friend. So uh, no complaints. All is good. How are you? I'm doing great. Everybody at the GDS office rocking shorts today. We're not quite there here in Colorado. It's been raining nonstop for the last week, which is pretty rare, but um, we'll take it. But this is uh, this is going to be fun. You know, we were hoping to do this, sadly, when uh, Tim was my co-host, right? But yeah. you have a relationship with Tim. Obviously, he was my my road dog for a while in this podcast thing. And Tim was, was my original connection to GDS. And we'll talk about GDS a whole bunch and uh, jump into what you guys are doing. Great stuff from an events standpoint. Some of my favorite and some of the best people that I've gotten to know and build really good relationships with go back to GDS conferences, Newport Beach, California, 2013, Barton Creek, Austin, 2014, 2015. Love Barton Creek. Loved Barton Creek. I mean, I kind of preferred Newport, but I didn't see the beach for a second anyway. You know how those shows are. You're just grinding the whole time. Yeah. Yeah. You're living off three, four hours sleep. You're up early, (laughs) up late, Uh, especially one in the event anyway. It was, uh, yeah, yeah. you're the last last one up at the bar with with your sponsors, your delegates, and you're the first one up in the morning to make sure everyone's ready to rock and roll again and stuff. But yeah, minimal sleep, but good fun. Good fun to say, Luke. Great fun. Yeah, we'll we'll get into all that and how you guys do conferences differently. But but before that, obviously, you don't have what sounds like a traditional Florida accent, whatever that is. So why don't you tell the listeners, Mr. Nethway, who you are, man? Where are you from? And how did you end up uh, where you're at? There you go. Yeah, sure. So yeah, I don't really have the, the Florida accent. It's not too strong. Uh, I speak zero Spanish and I've been in Miami seven years. Uh, so uh, I don't think I can, I can, I can upload or just my brain's not there to, to take on another language now. But yeah, man, I'm, uh, I'm from a little town called Clevedon. Um, it's uh, just outside the city of Bristol, which is southwest of London okay. in the UK. Um, that's where I was born and raised. Um, done a little bit of traveling, lived in Thailand for five years, Australia for a year. Um, done a little bit of backpacking, you know, like most people do, I guess. And I've been in uh, in South Beach, Miami now for God, 2016, I think I landed. So a good a good seven years now. Yeah, a good seven years. And you you're a sales guy, right? I think you're a VP over at, at GDS Group. What um, what got you into sales as a career? Do you know what it was? Believe it or not, I used to be a bricklayer, right? So I was on a construction site at the age of 15 years old. I didn't really go through college. I was out working at a young age. And I remember shoveling sand, shoveling cement. And um, I remember this guy rolls up in a nice Mercedes in a suit. And he was trying to sell my boss uh, building merchants materials, new cement, new product, new materials, I think. I was like, that guy looks good, man. Uh, he's driving a nice Mercedes. I'm there covered in dirt, dust, and shit, and all sorts of stuff. And and he was like, and I was chatting, and I was like, what, what's he doing? He's like, he's here to sell me stuff. I was like, well, what's he selling you? He's like, we're well, selling you the selling me comparison builders merchants, right? Yeah. And um, and I remember from that day, I was like, I don't think the construction's gigs for me. I want to drive this car. And that's not to say <laughs> that people don't earn, not to, not to say people don't earn a lot of money in construction because they certainly can, but I didn't, wasn't for me. And that, yeah, not from that day forward, I yeah. Uh, I wanted to to jump into sales. Um, so yeah, and I think my first sales job was at 18 years old, uh, knocking doors, selling uh, accident and healthcare insurance at the time. Oh wow! Yeah, commission only too, which is a struggle. Oh man, I mean that's that's like I love that story 
right? Because I think that that everybody that is money motivated that gets into sales kind of has that experience. It was it was similar for me. Like I was in college, and I've I've told this story on here before, but it it bears repeating. Like I went to Brandeis, which is just outside of Boston, really challenging liberal arts school. A lot of the people who went there went on to law school or they became teachers um, or they got into the finance world. And I'm like, I don't really want to do any of those things, but I want to make money. How do I do it? So I saw some of my fraternity brothers driving nice cars, having nice watches, wearing nice suits, just a couple years older. I'm like, how do you do that? Like, you don't have an advanced degree. Like, you got a nice apartment, you got a nice car. Yeah. And they're like, like, oh, I'm in like pharmaceutical sales or I'm selling, you know, software for Microsoft. I'm like, I want to do that. Right. Yeah. So I like had it set in my mind even over 20 years ago. I'm like, I want to get into sales. I don't know what that means, but I think technology sales is what I want to get into. And it was as simple as that. Like it's been, you know, sometimes flush with cash, sometimes a struggle. That's sort of the deal when you're- Ah, oh, you the know, peaks and troughs are insane in the sales game. One minute you flux, the next minute you're asking that you borrow some mates some dough off a friend, but especially when you're first starting out. But, but yeah, I yeah, know it's, uh, it, I, I love it. I always have loved it. Um, I never forget my friends. They said when I left, when I left school, they were like, uh, so I got into construction. I said, I'm getting into the sales game. And they quoted, oh, you can be one of those uneducated guys that's driving a $100,000 car. I do not drive a $100,000 car, by the way. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, to the point. And I was like, yeah, I think that's me, you know? I think that's me. But yeah, uh, I, I love the sales game. I think I'll always be in it too. I don't think I'll ever leave it uh, at this point. Well, I, I will compliment you on this. And this isn't just you. It's, it's everybody at GDS. You guys have a way of finding people who are driven and mold them into really good, salespeople, right? Yeah. Talk to me a little bit about your path at, at GDS and, and maybe even before that kind of set the stage for like, what is GDS? Like what does GDS group do? What kind of events do you throw? And then talk a little bit about how you train up your sales team. Sure. So yeah, I mean, GDS group, are, are about a 30 year old events company, we generate about a hundred million dollars a year in annual revenue. We've got six, 700 clients across the globe from your IBMs to your Silicon Valley startups, right? Um, we're a UK-based company. Um, I think we're about 700, 800 headcount now, which for an events company is pretty big. Yeah. Um, and for me, I started my career in Bristol, um, where I'm where I'm from, where I'm based. And then I'd done a year and a half, and I was actually ready to quit. I was like, hey, I'm, I want out. Um, yeah. I want to go back to Thailand. Uh, I want to go back to the tropical <laughs> weather. I want the, yeah. the, the wet, cold, cobbled streets of Bristol wasn't for me. And then, yeah, I moved over to Miami. And as I mentioned earlier, been in Miami a while, but... I mean, GDS Group, our events are definitely a little different. I don't want to sell it on your podcast, obviously, but um, yeah, I mean, we you know we host anywhere from sixty to to hundred buyers attendees. I mean, I know that me and you met through my oil and gas event, right? Um, a long, long time ago. So we host a hundred operators, and they're typically be at the director level and above, right? Um, so directors, VPs, and C level execs. And then what we then did for for twenty five years, up thirty years in business, was start selling to, to sponsors, to vendors, to software companies, to contractors, to large service organizations, Slumberger and, and Halliburton's and Snyder Electrics of the world were big sponsors for our events for a long, long time. And then we were big on the one to one meetings, right? I think that's the yes. biggest the biggest difference between us and your typical trade shows and your conferences is it's more of an invite only type of event. It's not a NAPE, an OTC where there's thousands of people, a lot of forced conversations, um, a lot of a lot of footwork, a lot of walking about. Um, there's no booths or there's no pop-ups or banners. It's, you know, 70 buyers and maybe 20 sponsors, really small, really intimate. It's over three days. And historically, we used to run these 
you know, in four to you know, three, four, five star resorts uh, across the US and Europe. Um, and we would contract our sponsors, kind of guaranteed one to one meetings, right, with people that they want to meet with, uh, the right level, the right company, and stuff like that. So I guess, big picture, um, you know, that's the, the GDS model. We've been running events in different industries for, for a long time now, I guess. But hopefully, that, does that give you an all right overview, I guess? Is that what you're looking for? Yeah, it does. It does. And I want to go kind of go back in time to uh, my experience with GDS. So I was at Energy Navigator, and I remember Tim saying, yeah. this is probably 2011, 2012. He's like, okay, I think we're going to do this event. It's like not cheap, right? This is like a bunch of napes, right? <laughs> but these are the people we're going to meet with, or this is a list of people we could meet with. Help me prioritize this list. I'm like, this is kind of cool. Like, I want to go to this. He's like, no, this is just going to be like the sea levels that go. This is like, you know, you're not, you're not fancy enough. You're not smart enough, Jeremy. I'm like, oh, okay. All right. But, you know, of this, of the, you know, he took like the seven or eight meeting package. And I think you guys also have like a 14, 15 meeting package. And of course it cascades, you know, up and down in price. And of those seven people, like two of them turned into really good leads. I think the rest turned into like decent personal contacts, but like you can't guarantee that everybody you sit down with is going to have a need or want to buy your product. You do a good job of vetting all that out. But a couple of those leads were really good. So I leave, I go to Seven Lakes. And, and at that time, I mean, Seven Lakes kind of turned into a much bigger company. They were eventually acquired by W Energy Software. But I was the only one in sales. And pretty much everybody else at the company was like, you know, East Asian to Southeast Asian descent, like Indian guys. And I'm like, man, I need to find a way to get as many meetings as I can in a short, concentrated period of time, particularly from larger operators. How do I do that? Like, and Matt Rose was calling me one day. The next, he was calling me nonstop. He wants his, want his own energy conference now. Nah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah, hmm. um, he's good. So he kept he kept hitting me up. He's like, dude, I think you can you can crush this. I've looked at your website. You guys have the right thing. We've got this guy from Devon. We got this person from Lynn. This one from Continental. This one from Conical Phillips. We got a woman from Oxy by the name of Vicky Holub who actually attended mm -hmm. one of those events. This was 10 years yep. ago. And I said, all right, like how much would it cost for me to go and get one-on-one -on -one meetings with all of these people all over the country? And it's a lot, right? So if I can really get in front of these people and get 40, 45 minutes to get that icebreaker meeting going, then this could actually turn out to be a good deal. And that was November of 2013. And oh man, was it ever like, I think we had 14, maybe 15 one-on-ones. I had dinner with Vicky Holub, great experience, kind of get in the head of an executive working for a publicly traded larger oil and gas company and understand what her values and priorities were. Um, and some of the people there, they referred me to other decision makers in their company. Some of them we were eventually able to get back in front of and sell to directly. And I think ultimately, if I were to look back at Seven Lakes, like the first GDS event we went to in, at the Fairmont Newport Beach really kind of helped shape the trajectory of that company to A, build the confidence of what the pitch even is in front of these like very senior decision makers, and then B, the revenue opportunities that came out of it. So it was unique. And, and I think that at least in oil and gas, where it's such a relationship-based sale, the yeah. GDS model makes a ton of sense. So we, we went to a few others. We even went to some of your competitors. I didn't get the same vibe necessarily from some of your competitors 
but um, it was it was really cool, and I was very impressed with how professional the whole team was. And if somebody had to miss or skip a meeting, you guys would be all over them, like, "Hey, you can't do that, right?" These people paid us a bunch of yeah, money. Yeah, we were hot on that. Yeah, especially what we charge. I mean, we're not a cheap events company, right? And people are buying to get in front of directors, VP, C level contacts from you know super majors, majors, large public to small, even independent West Texas oil and gas operators, right? So when they're paying us money to get in front of these guys, yeah, we've got a team of what we used to call runners. Because yeah. you know, they get dragged, they get calls from their office and things, yeah. run around, make sure that they're in the meetings and things. We've critiqued it a little bit now, we've we've tightened up our matchmaking model quite a lot. And I, maybe we could talk about some of the digital versus physical later, but um, but yeah, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I miss it. I mean, we're now digital, but I don't know how much you know about our model, but we no longer run these in um, in physical locations, we still have a, a physical aspect, but it's all digital now. Well, I want to I want to jump into that in a second because I think that yeah. that's significant and and I'm really curious because you said it it's actually working better now, which is which is interesting to me and I hope you're not just saying that because you're a company man, but I really felt a lot of value in the face to face focused sessions and because I was able to ascertain a decent amount of success from the various GDS conferences I went to. They would ask me to be a reference. They're like, hey, look, I mean, these people sure, are like, yeah. should we really invest our events and marketing budget in this event? And I would always be cautious with people and say, you need to make sure that you have a product that's concise enough that you can pitch the people, but also you need to do your homework beforehand, right? The GDS guys provide a pretty decent amount of information and background on the people and their priorities. And like, I spent days like really prioritizing what the list was of who we wanted to meet with, what we thought their priorities were based on information you guys gathered and really came prepared. And I think that sort of set us apart from some of the other companies that just went and said, oh, okay, we're meeting with this guy. Let's just go pitch our stuff. It's like, well, we understand that you're interested in data management and that you have a significant budget ready to allocate to that. This is what we do from a data management standpoint. Let's start there. They're like, oh, right, yeah. okay, you actually paid some attention. Right. So I would always caution the engagement. Yeah. Yeah. No, I remember you doing a good job and Tim did an amazing job of doing that too, Definitely. like pre-prepping. Um, and if, you know, we started to now kind of extract projects from our from our attendees ahead of time. So requirements and budgets and timelines and providing that information to a sponsor ahead of an event now is really valuable, I think, at this point, because they can they can qualify in. Um, yeah. they, can, they can also qualify out, right? Yes. Um, a lot of people will chase the VP of operations from Devon. I remember Clay Gasper used to come to my event, who's now I I think, president yep. president of Devon now, used to be WPX, and and everyone used to chase him off stage. Everyone used to follow him around, you know, want to buy him drinks because he's a big hitter and his, his pockets are deep, right? Um, but if Clay's mindset is cha- Clay's challenges here and your products here, there's not a connect. There's yeah. there's no reason you're just trying to force pitch someone. So. We've started to, to extract projects ahead of time, now provide that intelligence to you guys that you can filter through and choose meetings based on um, their active problems and, and projects and things. But yeah, you got you were prep you were doing the you were doing way more prep before a lot before we started collecting data from our operators, I think. Which was good yeah. for you. I'd even call Matt and be like, All right, this is what we got. Like which of these people should we meet with? You know these guys. Right. Oh, you should meet yep. with this woman here. You should meet with this company, Oklahoma. These guys, maybe you think. And it actually, what it did for me, which is always important in sales, is it challenged my assumptions because you see VP of operations at company X and you think this is a perfect fit for my product. But then you look at what their priorities are and what you have is actually their wow. lowest priority. So you're Correct. like, wait yep. a second, do I really want to burn 
this 45 minute meeting with them. Right. Because it sounds like this is going to be a dead end right away. And that's important information. Right. So your assumptions definitely get pushed up against like, is this really somebody I should meet with? You know? Yeah. Because I thought we should, but maybe maybe not. Yeah, I think I mean yeah, you nailed it. I think I, you were you were prepping before, but trying to fit like a you know a, a size a size ten foot into a size eight, right? Um, you if their their focus is here and you're trying to stand this, it's just, there's no chemistry, there's no disconnect, and then you end up burning the relationship because you're just trying to force the, the product down their throat. So, but I think it also helped the operators, right? I think if you look yeah. at any other conference in the world, um, when the big hitters go, they always get pestered and chased, and um, people trying to sell them anything they got, right? And I think from the operator standpoint now, it's a value exchange, right? And any attendee that comes to the events now is the more information they can give us at GDS, the more we can align them with the right products, the right software, the right technology. So when they meet in a one-to-one meeting with you guys, they've already pre-approved it. They see a fit and it makes sense. So then they're not, they're coming with their barriers down. They're not like, uh, you know, they've, they've actually accepted a meeting with you. Yeah. So, yeah. I think the, the matchmaking side of what we do is, is definitely unique, I think. Yeah, that was always fun. It's like, oh my God, this person just requested a meeting with us. Like, that's amazing. Right? Yeah, right. The two way. Yeah. Didn't expect yeah. that to happen. So, yeah, I do want to talk I, a little bit about Daniel. Um, the going away from in person and moving to digital, was that something that was in the works before COVID or was that like a learning that you took out of you know the pandemic? No. It was very reactionary for, for GDS. And um, I got to give credit to my chairman, Spencer Green. I mean, he pivoted well. We hired digital leaders and um, mm. we pivoted. But I mean, we're 30 years old. 25 years we've run these physical events. Right? COVID hit. And I'm not joking, Jeremy. I was like, I'm done. Yeah, it's like, over. I've spent the it's last over. eight years in, in, of my career physically getting people to shake hands, meet, have drinks, sit down, have dinner together, do one-to-one meetings. I'm like, I'm like, it's over. I was, I was looking at jobs, right? I was panicking. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I was thinking, I got my visa's expiring. I have to go back to miserable England. Um, <laughs> and yeah. And I was, and I, and I was not, I wasn't sure how we were going to pivot. Um, and we hired a guy called Harlan Davis and a bit of a digital guru, I guess. And he come in and built this digital first studio. We, we, we actually hired a third party at first and then we, we built our own. And now, our, you know, all of, we still have, a, I guess, a live aspect of our events, but it's more of a dinner piece. Um, but mm-hmm. did, we're just fully digital first now. And it's very cool. The studio looks good. It's definitely not a Zoom webinar or Teams type of platform. But, yeah, I mean, at first, we, like any business in COVID, we were panicking that everyone was running around. Um, roles were shifting and budget cuts and everything like that. And salaries were getting cut. And the first six months of running it was a huge challenge but a year year and a half two years and now we're what three and a half years in right um and the value is now the the sponsors just get a better return now, mm. which we never thought and i know it sounds crazy i know it sounds crazy because you think surely it's better to, to shake hands share a steak share a whiskey but from an attendee standpoint, they just get a better return on their time. They're not getting chased out the toilet by a sponsor or someone trying to sell them something. Um, we can level up in terms of the authority digitally, I feel like, because it's it's hard to if you've got Clay Gasper, for example, over in Tulsa, I think he's up there, and we're running an event in Houston. That's half yeah. a day travel, you know, by the time we get to the airport, it's half a day of time, then another half a day back, then three days at the at the conference with no time for him to do what he needs to do where digitally he can come in and out of 
of, of some content sessions. But I think the biggest aspect of the digital physical thing was because we were big on the one-to-one meetings already, Jeremy, what we had to do is take that digitally and whichever one was doing anyway. Um, and, it, and it improved. And now the product's cool and stuff like that. But data-wise, sponsors are generally getting more return because I just feel like, I think that I hate to say it because I used to be in a, in a physical game, but a lot of people will go to the event for the jolly, right? The whiskeys, the getaway, yeah. get away from the husband, get away from the wife for a couple of days, yeah. right? Uh, get away from their boss, go and go, go and knock down some whiskeys, sit by a fire pit, and kick it. And there is none of that draw card to a digital event. So people that do actually attend a digital mm. platform are there nine times out of ten for the right reasons, right? Um, so yeah, with some transition, um, it, it was started extremely rough but it ended pretty smooth and now like I say, we're, we're digital first now which is which is crazy that's cool yeah and i should probably check out what what some of your upcoming events are since my clients would be a lot of the logical companies that would gain value uh from from your events but you you touched on something that i think is is really fascinating which is you kind of leveled up with the personas who would attend like one of my right. friends, I have a number of friends who are executives at oil and gas companies. And one of them said, I always feel bad because I'm planning to go to this event. And then it, it gets to that week and it's like, I have a board presentation due or I have something and I really can't go. Or if I go, I'm not going to be focused. So I end up delegating. If I'm a C-level or a VP, I send like a director. And that's like right. the worst case scenario, right? Like you're paying this money. You want to go meet with the VP. I'm wondering... Do you feel like because it's virtual and they don't have to get on a plane and travel somewhere and, and get out of the office and get away, that you're able to get more senior people because they can actually carve out that time? 100%. We, yeah. We've started and the, the feedback and we've done a ton of customer experience calls, feedback calls, just a better return on their time, right? They can, yes, we've got some panels and keynotes and networking sessions in the mornings, but when you're doing one-to-one meetings, they can opt in and opt out for which means they want to take based on Jeremy's portfolio of clients that Jeremy represents, right? I, I've looked at what Jeremy does. I want to meet Jeremy. They can prioritize that one. Hey, this mm-hmm. guy's not really a fit. I don't want to meet. You can reject a meeting. Whereas when you're at a conference, every conversation, like physically, you, you can't just walk away from someone. It's just rude, right? So yeah. he can manage, they can manage their time better, which does elevate the, the level of seniority quite a lot in terms of who we can bring into our events now. So yeah, I mean, I think directors, VPs was always where we was. I think now we're kind of more VPC suite, right? So 100% since going digital, we've for sure elevated up in terms of seniority. Um, 100%, yeah. Yeah, I mean, which makes total sense, right? Like I have a couple guys who who work for me as, as sales consultants and I'd like to go to conferences if I can uh, to work with my clients, but I can't go to all of them. Right. So I send, I delegate somebody else to go. Right. I got enough going on where I can't go. It's not a matter of me not wanting to go. It's just I can't, I can't physically be everywhere. So that's, that's fascinating. And have you seen this with your competitors as well? Have they all been able to transition to digital or have some, some of them literally just folded up shop and said, well, we had a good run as an events company. Now it's over. (laughs) There was a ton of (laughs) folders, to be fair. There was yeah. a lot of companies that went under. I think um, some of the smaller, you know, self-funded companies, right, um, didn't have the back in the numbers, I guess. Yeah, I mean, a lot of them folded. A lot of our competitors, I won't bring them up, of course, but um, yeah, a lot of people went under. A lot of people tried the, the, the digital, but when people think digital event, they think Zoom teams or webinars. That's totally. the first thing that comes to their mind. We've got these kind of studios. It's very immersive and stuff, but 
yeah, a lot of people folded. A lot of people went under. Um, a lot of people just, they couldn't renew. I mean, it affected events companies' revenue, right? Because if you've got an event in June, then that event gets canceled. They That that money stays with the events companies. So, oh, we'll just delay your sponsorship to next yeah. year or the following year. And obviously, it dragged out for so long. So that they lost out and then they couldn't re-up so they couldn't renew their sponsors and double down on the on the on the sponsorship packages for next time hey do you want to get a seat at the next event and stuff so yeah i mean there was a lot of people that went out of business but i think that's where we grew like 2021 we grew 150 percent, and then 150 percent again in 2022 um because I, I guess we we adapted first you know i, I think and um, other people do a good job of it there's a ton of cool digital events out there though still yeah i i agree with that um it still doesn't hold the same cachet for me, but if I were a decision maker at an oil and gas company, in some ways it would be more appealing so that I don't have to get, you know, people waiting for me when I come outside the bathroom or dragging me off the stage after I speak or getting just like you're in those meetings, right? And you, it's like, it was like table style and yeah. I would be staring people down like, man, the second this one ends. I'm going to go, I'm going to go talk to that guy. Cause Still we didn't get a one-on-one, -on -one, but <laughs> yeah and i'm just hawking um but yeah it, it's uh it's fun it, it was it was tiring for sure um because you're giving this pitch over and over and over again and it, it sort of tests your like your your mental fortitude especially in some cases where i mean it's still sales at the end of the day so you're getting shot down a bunch you have high expectations high hopes for some of these meetings and they don't pan out the way that you think they are but you only got 10 minutes you got to bounce yeah. back for the next one Right. So it's like, right. it's almost like yeah. speed dating, but the dates are longer than just the, the speed component. Um, talk to me a little bit about um, living in, in Miami. So are you guys headquartered in, in Miami? No, we're headquartered in the UK, in Bristol, where I'm initially from. That's okay. pretty much where, like, I guess four or 500 staff are in our headquarters. Um, and then we've got an office here in South Beach, Miami, and then we've got another one in New York, and then another one in Eastern Europe country called Kosovo um, which is next to Serbia um, I'm based out of Miami this one of our smaller offices our Miami office actually in New York offices right in Water Street right in the financial district in New York and headquartered yeah. in Bristol Queen Square I never forget when they said uh, okay we're going to send you to the US and they, they were like hey you want to go to New York or Miami I was like it is a no brainer I was like New York totally. City that's no different to London I was like no send me to Miami uh, hot all year round, you know, wearing shorts to the office all day. I was like, no, yeah, Miami for me. Yeah. So, so nice. no, we're not headquartered in Miami, headquartered at the UK, UK based company with two offices in the US. But most of our revenue now comes from the US because it's such a bigger market. People spend more of it. It's Europeans are cheap, you know. <laughs> Australians too. That's what I've been yeah, told. Yeah, and the Aussie. Uh, so, with, with the Miami office, like your team that reports to you, do you have, like, do you train up your staff and kind of teach them how to do this and how to close sponsorships? And is that something that happens remotely or is that something that happens like in your office? Like what, tell me a little bit about the setup yeah. of your company. So, yeah, I mean, our office is right here on Lincoln road, um, right in the heart of South beach. It's a beautiful office. Um, we're an in office company. There is no okay. remote aspect of what we do. I know that sounds crazy in this, in this given where we are today, but, yeah, we're, we're physical. We're in the office. Got about 50, 50 staff here in Miami now, and we're hiring. And yeah, it's onboarded training, um, a, a quite complex recruitment process uh, first. And then cause when you're selling events that are not cheap, right, um, you've got to be 
selling to CEOs, chief marketing officers, vice presidents of marketing from 50 man companies all the way up to you know, yeah. 20,000 person organizations. So yeah, the, the training's the training is tough. I mean, I've been here eight, eight years, nine years, and I've run training sessions. I've, I've helped crew. I guess I've, I've helped manage teams over the years and, and things like that. But now we've actually brought on, we have a full-time sales trainer now at GDS that comes wow. on. And, and they, I mean, he's here at the office this week, actually running it. We just hired five more people. Um, and yeah, I mean, it, I mean, it's, it's competitive, right? So you've got to have the edge. There's so many event companies out there. You've got to come across different. You've got to buy, demonstrate the value of being different. Hey, we're not a traditional trade show. There's a, so there's a lot of training. There's a lot of onboarding. I've done it in, over the years. I don't do as much as it now, I guess. Um, I prefer this. I prefer speaking to clients, speaking to prospects now. Um, yeah. I've held different roles. I still have, a, I guess, a, a senior role here, but um, I'm still very much active, right? I'm still very much on the phone. But the training's, the training's good. Like People have left my company, my company, GDS, and they've left as like, they've been sales executives for us. They've left and got a VP of sales role for a huge yeah. company. Like, just based off the back of the training that we've developed, you know, like how to sell to a CEO, right? How that a lot of people just can't grasp it. They can't, they can't, they can't do it and they get nervous and they get, they panic a little bit. So yeah, the training at GDS is definitely good. The sales training is good. The onboarding uh, and just a constant learning, the constant training of how to, how to sell to a vice president and how to differentiate yourself to thousands of different events companies out there. What I find funny about what we sell, and I've always believed this, I much rather sell an event than a software. I, I don't know why you guys do it because mm. oh, there is so much software that is so similar. Um, I know. And everyone's got this, hey, well, we're unique because of this. And the, I think what's exciting about an event, if I sell to you, Jeremy, and you say, yeah, come to an event, the end goal is it's an exciting sell to sell an event. You can come, you can meet this guy, you, you could potentially close a seven-figure deal with this guy. It There's like there's a, already a, you know an indirect carrot for people to, to, to buy into right, when they're buying an event as opposed to, this software will save you 30% of your annual revenue and reduce your OPEX cost to X. And then it's like, what do we need to do to implement it? Well, to implement it, we need to rip out your legacy system. We need to do this, do that. And it's just like, oh, people just, it's just hard sell, I feel like, in, outside of the events. That's why I've been in it so long, I guess. I guess I'd be scared to go and sell software. Yeah. That, that's a really good point. Like, you get to sell excitement, right? You, oh. you get to sell potential of, right. of something great happening. And it may not happen for everyone, but some of them will have their companies transformed and changed and significant revenue come from your events. Software is just not as exciting. Like it doesn't matter. You can make it sound as, as exciting as you want, but ultimately right. it's like, yeah, we're, we're really excited to do this. It's like, well, like really how excited are we to do this? Right. This is maybe great. checking a box. Um, maybe this is, is somebody's going to be disappointed because they wanted to go at the competitor of ours. There's some political posturing internally. It's not always fun for them, um, but it it can still be fun. I mean, it's just a different type of challenge, right? You're also going for, if I can get you to this event, you're going to keep coming to this event. In right. software, a lot of times it's like, if I can sell you this piece of tech, right? Well, then you need to use it for the next four or five years. It's more similar to a consultative sale, where if I can get you this one project, if I can sell you this one dashboard, if I can give you this one audit, now you're going to buy more services from me, right? So yeah. you, you're, you're going to know, like if you get somebody to your shows, 
you're going to know if they had enough success relatively quickly after the show to see if they're going to sign up and come again. And for the, the people that gain success, they'll just keep coming forever. I mean, well, look at OBS and Tim. Um, I think maybe yeah. Tim said that it was, just, you know, that six to one is the return I think they got, you know, for every dollar they spent with us, they were getting six back over a course of multiple events. Don't get me wrong. Right. That software, the point you mentioned about setting a software to an event, I've over my career like showed um, it someone says, hey, who's coming or who come to the last event, right? And then you show a list of people that, hey, these are who was at my last oil and gas event. And I've had people be like, right, I'm coming just because one hit us there. One guy that they just can't get hold of, yeah. that kind of one guy in the decision-making process that will pull the trigger on this. All his influencers are behind the cell. This one guy just needs to sign the check, <laughs> but he, he just can't, he's not bought into it. He's coming to an event. I've had people spend fortunes just to go and have dinner with that guy right oh um, definitely and that's how easy it can be sometimes you know um, whereas other times it's definitely a difficult sell i think and, and we, again we're not cheapest event because we, we host quite quite senior people um but yeah i mean again selling software for me i don't think i could do it I'd take my hats yeah. off to you guys because i yeah i and it's more fun anyway i think in the event uh, and you tend to have pretty young resources over there but i i remember being really impressed with the with the salespeople at GDS, because you, you do get a lot of rejection too. Like, and, and sometimes it's rejection where it's like, this is one that I, I know this would be perfect for you. That's the hardest rejection to take. And same thing with me in software. It's like, I know you can benefit from this so much. You look exactly like this company who got all this benefit. And I know even if you meet with this person and then you still get a no, and, and eventually you just have to be like, well, I don't know what to say. Like, I know this would be perfect for you but you can't see it, right? right and you, and yeah. you try, you know, you pull out all the stops and, and see if Storytelling and, yeah, case studies and say, yeah, and yeah, it's tough. It's, that's the, you're right. The worst part of any sales process is when in your head you got, you just know that if they come to this event, they're going to nail it. Uh, and they're probably going to close a ton of business and it's the right audience, right contacts, their product matches yeah. the projects and the attendees. And you're like, I couldn't, I could have put it on more of a platter for you, right? But they, they would still say, no, no, we're going to pass this year. And you got a lot of people get burnt in the event industry, though. You know, there's a lot of mm. there's a lot of bad. Not, and I'm never bring up any names, but there's a lot of like overselling, overpromise. These guys are going to come here. Like I think you mentioned it earlier, where like the C-suite's going to go, and then he cancels, right? And then he ends up sending a management level executive that. The sponsor's already speaking to. They paid us because they want to get in front of the seats. Yeah. And then the guy cancels and as an event company, you're like, ah, because you're relying on people. Um, yeah, and there's a lot of but there's also a lot of companies out there that will promise you that these people are coming, but they're never really coming. You know? Yeah, and see that happens. that's one of the things too, where you know, I would always ask, like, well, can you give me a list of people? It's like, you know, we really don't like to do that, but like here's a list of people that came to a, a past event. It's like all right, you just gave me six years worth of names. I don't know if any of these people are coming to this one. So now my hopes are here and right. the results are actually here. But yeah, it's it's interesting. And I didn't even know companies like yours existed until about you know uh, 11 years ago when Tim first put it on my radar. We're going to pivot here real quick. I want to know a little bit more about you, right? So outside of work, like what makes you tick, Daniel? What do you like to do? Oh, God. Um a uh, big, big, big football player. When I say football, I, I mean soccer, right? Um, right? So I played my whole life, um, played since I was about six years old. I actually run a Sunday league soccer team here in Miami 
sponsored by an Irish pub, right? Cliche as hell, but that's uh, and I and I an Irish guy. I drink at his pub every weekend. Um, all the football players go in there drink. We watch the football games in there. We watch all the boxing fights in there. And um, one day I said, "Hey man, I'm putting together an eleven side football team." Eleven side soccer team. I said, "What's your what's your thoughts on you sponsoring the team?" Um, we'll get the shirts, few logos, and then after the game, we'll come back for sausage and chips, fries. Um, and uh, yeah, uh, and he was all for it. So now we've got, I run this uh, 11 aside soccer team every Sunday, uh, mm. Sunday league. You should see the state of some of my players that turn up nine o'clock Sunday morning when they're <laughs> out in, in 11 nightclub on uh, on Saturday night or one of the big space nightclubs. Like some of the players have played for me like 25 years old. So they're still right in their party season, right? Right. Um, they're coming in, throwing up off the side of the field. It's good fun. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I'm a big football fan, big, big football fan. I watch most games. Um, I used to box um, a lot when I was in Thailand, but Muay Thai. Um, I, wow. I love that stuff. But yeah, I, I guess I've always been pretty active. Um, I like to go and hit the town too. You know, I like to have fun. I like to work hard. I like to play hard type of guy. Um, but I guess what makes me tick is money. I think money's the, I know like, it sounds so obvious to say, doesn't it? But uh, I grew up quite poor, funny enough. I grew up mm-hmm. like cancel stay in the projects, um, you know, like single power in the home sort of thing, struggles, eating canned food for dinner. Like it was it was quite a rough upbringing for me. So when you always used to see other friends with nice clothes or Nike stuff and all, the, you know, like brands and stuff, when you go into school, that always had me ticking and it always yeah. has, I guess. So that uh, people say your past shapes your future. It really, really does. Um, it's definitely motivated me to to get into sales, to, to make money, to, to buy nice things, right? It's superstitious as it, it could sound. But um, yeah, I think money is, is what made me tick. And um, and I like I like making it. I like spending it, Jeremy. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so uh, then you got to make more. You got to make yeah, more. Yeah, and, and there's, never, there's, never, there's never a limit to it either. You'll always spend what you make, no matter what, what money you make. But, I, I remember my, my therapist. Um, yeah, I grew up like I'd say lower middle class. I wasn't poor, but definitely wasn't rich. Um, and I remember her saying to me that, um, it's never going to be enough, right? Like, I promise you, Jeremy, no matter how much you make, like you're always going to feel like it's not enough. Yeah. And, and as you, you buy a house, right. And then you have kids and then you travel more. Right. And th- there's all these different things you, well, now if I want to go to a, you know, a football game or something, well, that's five tickets for us. Right. And right, so it's, yeah. things are, it, it, and she's right. You know, it's it's fascinating. If I were to tell my, my myself at twenty five the money I was making now, I'd be like, "Well, I'd just be retired, right?" Like I would yeah, do that course, for like two yeah. two years, and I'd be retired. Yeah. And meanwhile, like we're having budget meetings, my wife and I during date night. Like, how are we how are we going to do this? Yeah, right? no, I told you, yeah, because it, it's tight, you know. And and of course, with inflation and and all the craziness. And I run my own company. I was just talking to somebody about this um, earlier today. That um, like when I fly places, I still kind of seek out the cheapest flight, and it's just a little bit different than when you're expensing it to somebody else, right? Oh, cool. I'm, I'm the one. I'm, picking, not, I'm pick- not buying myself first class. Yeah. Yeah, I'll sit in the back, I'll, I'll, I'll save the money for someone else. Sure, yeah. And and you might even argue like, well, you know, it's it's you know, uh, it's a little bit foolish, right, on your part to to do that, right? Maybe you could be more comfortable and do this. It's like, man, I don't know. Like if I can save 400 bucks sitting in a middle seat <laughs> versus sitting I think in the front. A hundred percent. Especially like a quick flight across the US, right? I think I don't think that's yeah. spend. But like you said, the difference between your expense and not on a company to now you being self-employed, 
and having it, it's, 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 it's definitely different. When I fly to England, I'm blessed in that department, by the way. My friend's a pilot, so I'm on the buddy pass oh, system. Nice. Oh, God. I just paid a tax direct to London for that's 600, amazing. 600 bucks, business class, in the pod, you know. But then the problem is it ruins you, spores you. you never, like, if you ever right. have to pay for that, you're like, what? Like, yeah. yeah. No, 100%, right? Um, that's a whole new chat, flying. <laughs> sure I've done a lot of it. experiences. You know, I was I was supposed to be in Dallas today, actually, but I got up yesterday. I'm like, man, I've been too busy. I don't want to go. But also, I didn't want to cram into an airplane for two hours each way for a, yeah. a flight down yesterday and a flight back today. But like you said, that's a whole different story. Um, talk to me about American football. Do you like like the Dolphins? Do you go to any American NFL games? God, I've only just figured out. I've only just figured out what second down is, my guy. Ah, <laughs> uh, first down, second down. I'm like, is that what is? I'm even saying that right? Like, yeah. yeah, it sounds really arrogant, but I'm so bad with it. And I'm like, I've been to Dolphins games. Yeah, I've been to like four or five, but I've been here seven years, and um, I prefer the basketball. Um, I've 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 gone to a ton of heat games, but I've just started actually getting into it. Um, like when they played the Celtics the other, the other day, I was like, it was a neck and neck. Uh, like Jimmy Butler, and I was just like, wow, this getting. And I guess I'm. I got ADHD anyway, so I'm like I need to keep it moving. I think that the fast pace of basketball, but American football, no. But the tailgate is good fun, no. And the car park, oh, yeah. really knocking down some beers. That's probably the best part of American football. I think for me is just in the car park. It's it's sunny, hot. There's good people around you. Smell of like fresh barbecue food. Just all yeah. you can hear is another can just opening every thirty seconds. Plus you got that. You got that Miami weather, so it's a it's a natural backdrop. F- final question um, on the personal stuff: D- Do you think you're going to be in Miami now for like for life? Is this where you're going to be? Uh, like, wh- wh- where do you see yourself in five years? I do you know what. If you'd have asked me that before the increased rent, mortgages, and the, and the property, the, the ent- Miami now I think is with the well up there with the most expensive cities now to live. It's crazy in, in the whole of the U.S. Like, I think it's even overtaken New York and San Fran. Um, it's nuts. I mean, thirty-five percent increase in rent if you're renting. Property prices through the roof. How, homes that were five hundred thousand dollars an hour, one point two million. Why right? it's like becoming a little tough here in Miami, and because of that, it's just bringing in more money. You know, like the more expensive it comes, that's when the money comes in, and then that's <laughs> when you've been here for yeah. seven years. I mean, you can you can live in Miami for sure, but I think that to your point and to answer your question, I, I think it's gonna be tough to leave. Like. I think it's going to be tough to leave Miami. It's such a vibrant, cool, fun city. The weather helps, right? I mean, I guess when you've grown up in England, it rains 300 days a year, right? Uh, yeah. So, and coming to England. So, no, I don't think so. I think I'll probably stay in Miami um, for the for the long haul. Uh, I don't think I would I would ever leave. I was so tempted at one point to go and buy in, um, in Lake Travis, just outside Austin, Texas. That's yeah, um, nice out there, man. But even that now, all the all the all the Silicon Valley money just come and drove all that totally. real estate through the roof. So yes, I mean it's tough. It's, it's tough out there now. But yeah, I think Miami's for me long term. To be fair, I don't think I'll leave. Nice. Uh, when you come in, Jeremy. When you come in Miami, I'll take. You know, I'm oh, I'm actually I'll due. I'm due to come down there, man. It's been way too long, and and I love it. Like it, it's hard. Like it's so dry out here, and it's so humid. Right down there that it's like it, it just 
hits me to the core. So I don't know. Let's talk winter months. I'll see when the Patriots are going to go play the the Dolphins. Yeah, we'll let's go and have a I'll show you around town. I you love come it. Say, come, come to the office. Come and say hello to the gang, and uh, and then we'll go. Yeah, we're going go and sit a couple at the same time. You know. Yeah, man, that sounds fantastic. Uh, where can people find you? Um, LinkedIn, I guess. Daniel Nestway. Yeah, just add me up. Say hello. Always happy to chat with anyone, business, personal, whatever it is. Yeah, uh, let's let's have a chat. But yeah, LinkedIn, I guess, is the best part. Right? Is it? Unless I'm missing the boat here, Jeremy. Is there another? Is there another platform? <laughs> <laughs> no. What's uh, what, what's your company website? Oh, of course. Got you. Yes. Yeah, so it was uh, gdsgroup.com is, is our company website. Um, Golf Delta Sierra group.com is the, uh, is the website. You'll see all times of events. God, God damn son group.com. Right, there, you you. there you um, go. I, I just want to say, uh, Daniel, I really appreciate you coming on. Uh, and of course for being available on short notice and also just kind of a final thought, like, uh, you and I have talked business a number of times, but it did mean a lot to me when you reached out uh, a couple of times to pass on your condolences about Tim. You know yeah. how great of a guy that he was. And, and I think that says something about you that this isn't just about sales. It isn't just about money, even though that's what drives you. Ultimately, it's about human connection. Uh, and I think you 100%. understood that Tim and I had that. And, and I'm glad you had yeah. that with him. So much appreciated. You know, Hopefully, that's a lesson you can pass on to some of your younger sales guys as well, that um, connecting authentically as as people will ultimately yeah. lead you to more doors opening for business as well. So good on you for that, brother. No, I appreciate it, my man. And you, you certainly can't uh, you can't fake relationships, right? They have to be real and they have to stem from something real. Um, and I think h- half of me wanted to get on here was because of um, because of Tim, right? He, he was totally. telling me a lot of the time, he said, Danny, come on the, conf- come on the, the, the podcast, talk about some event stuff, talk about just, just kick it, right? I think it's just... And I quite enjoyed this. My first one, by the way. I've never done a podcast. Ah, well, you're a natural. You got the gift of gab. We all knew that, though. Yeah, I appreciate you having me on. And um, thanks so much. And uh, let's uh, let's get a cold one soon, my man. Let me know when you're next in Miami in uh, the first couple of rounds on me. I'll see you. I'll see you in Miami, brother. Meet you in Miami. Nice one, bud. I love to catch up with you. Thanks for having me.